Well, hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Events with Benefits. This is our podcast designed and produced right here in Southern California to help nonprofit organizations raise more money and achieve greater success at their fundraising events. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by yours truly. My name is Danny Hooper. I'm a professional fundraising auctioneer and the author of a best-selling book called Easy Money, How to Generate Record Profits at Your Next Fundraising Event. I was going to call my book 50 Shades of Fundraising is what I was going to call. My co-host on the show, we've got Renee Zhao here, who's actually uh, the, the brainchild behind this. She came up with the idea for the show, and her company is Donation Match. Renee? Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. And what do you guys do? Oh, well, Donation Match is becoming a one-stop shop for anyone holding a fundraising event and needs items for your auctions, raffles, and gift bags. All right, our other partner on Events with Benefits and one of our co-founders and co-hosts is uh, Ian Loth from Winspire. Everybody knows Winspire, and if they don't, they should. And if you don't know about Winspire, you should not be listening to this podcast. Can we say that? (laughs) I said it. Right. Well, thanks, Danny. Uh, And for those who aren't aware of Winspire, what we do is uh, we're the industry leader in providing unique bucket list, no-risk travel packages for your fundraising event. Uh, These packages can be used in your live auction, your silent auction, raffle prizes, wherever in the event but the neat thing is is there is absolutely no risk and no upfront cost to use these packages you only pay for the trips that actually sell and raise money at your event and then we pride ourselves on taking and whisking your winning donors on a incredible adventure so we want to help you raise as much money in your auction and you do and boy i can tell you as an auctioneer i love selling winspire packages you can sell multiples and and the feedback we get from our uh, clients who have bought winspire trips is always over the over the moon so uh we've got a great, great guest on today's show. And boy, lucky you for dialing into this episode. I do honestly believe this is going to become one of our most popular episodes on events with benefits. We have a very special guest with us today. Oh, so today's guest is Nick Arquette, and he is the founder and CEO of Walk With Sally, an organization he started uh, that was really, um, I guess, triggered a bit uh, by one of his experiences as a child and did not want others to have to go through. And, uh, you know, like Danny said, I do also feel like you're lucky to have dialed into this episode because... Nick actually shares a lot of his trade secrets, what he's gone through in his 14 years of growth, and really is very honest and open about what he's tried, what has worked, how he's adjusted, and become the success that he is today. Yeah, Nick is just an incredible uh, success story, entrepreneur, um, and like we were just talking about, he does not waste a word on this interview. Every single word uh, just carries with it so much experience uh, and uh, just so much knowledge. He has taken uh, his event from this uh, white light, white night, and he's gonna. T- we're gonna let him tell you a little bit more about the cause and, and what it is. Uh, but he took this event from just you know 30 people in a barber shop uh, up to the most recent one that just happened this last month to uh, 1,300 people in uh, in the South Bay here in LA. So just one of uh, the very public, uh, very great, uh, you know, causes here in L.A. And it was just an absolute joy hearing from him. So I really want you guys to enjoy. Yeah, let's get started right now. I couldn't believe it. Just their silent auction alone this year, just the silent auction raised 183000 bucks. So he'll tell us about the live. He'll tell us about the fund of need, the paddle raise. And uh, we'll get started right now with Nick Arquette. Well, on this episode, we take you all the way to El Segundo, California, and our special guest is Nick Arquette. Nick, how are you doing? Hey, gang. 
Good. Great. Now, Thanks for uh, having me on the call. Yeah, tell everybody, where where is El Segundo exactly? <laughs> well, we sort of are considered the South Bay in Los Angeles. Um, we are just south of Santa Monica in part of the, the whole uh, Santa Monica Bay, and we're sort of a beach community, um, and El Segundo is home of the Lakers training facility and now the new L.A. Times, so we're really excited. Very cool. Did I say, I think I said El Segundo, didn't I? Did I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like can- the way you did that. That's a Canadian thing. <laughs> that's the way Canadian, you did that. That's what it is. Is my Canadian accent. We were actually just talking before we started uh, recording here, and you were complaining that the summer is going by way too fast. And I said it pains me to hear any Californian talking about how short <laughs> summer is. When I live up in Canada, I'm probably going home to snow after this podcast. But that's all right. <laughs> Nick, you are the uh, CEO and and founder of an organization called. Walk with Sally. And I'm very, very intrigued here from what I've been hearing from my co-hosts on the show, uh, Ian Loth from Windspire and Renee Zhao from Donation Match. Sounds like you've got an amazing organization. Maybe you can just tell us a bit about it. Yeah, you know, our mission is really is to bring hope to children whose parent, guardian, or even sibling has cancer or succumb to cancer. And we do that through our signature mentoring uh, programs. We mentor children with an adult who's gone through a cancer experience similar, and we match them throughout Los Angeles County and hopefully give them the journey that cancer doesn't always have to be, um, you know, th- the future will be bright, and that mentor really walks them through and says, hey, I went through it, um, and you can get through it. Let's do this together. Where did you come up with the idea for this need? Well, you know, it's interesting, like a lot of things for, for folks that are listening, you know, you're inspired um, by certain things that happen. In my case, it's a traumatic experience of watching my mom suffer from breast cancer from the age of 11, and then ultimately by 15 or 16, having to move away to, uh, you know, um, to a different state of Idaho with my brother and I because my mother could no longer take care of me. And, and then ultimately to be there by her side when she passed um, at 16 years old of breast cancer. And, and just the, the, the suffering and, and, and more or less the, the entire experience was incredibly traumatic for my brother Alex and myself. And so, you know, as an adult and as an entrepreneur, I started looking around to see what, what's out there. Where could I give my time? And, and so sometime, you know, about 12, 13 years ago, I really started to formulate the concept and said, you know, maybe I could create something that's not doesn't exist, which is in my mom's name. So Walk with Sally really represents Sally is we sort of say who is your Sally? Sally represents all the moms and dads who are suffering and don't know how to take care of their children at the same time. How does this impact kids when they don't get the type of support that your organization offers? It's such a great question. I think it's hard sometimes for people to really quantify or measure that result. And we're really doing an incredible job of really seeing what happens to self-confidence. I like to tell people that every child wants to be known. And when a child is in the cancer story, um, oftentimes they're the, the first to get dropped as far as Someone being there at soccer practice, someone taking care of that homework, someone taking you clothes shopping. Um, when a child's not known, a lot of things start to happen. They start to make bad choices. They get involved in risky behaviors. Um, they're, so they're trying to find attention in negative ways. 
And so I think that we see that pattern consistently throughout those families, and oftentimes we meet the children when they're already being impacted in that way. And so hopefully with a mentor and a guide and a positive role model, we can reverse that trend. But what happens if we didn't get involved? What does that child become in society? Do they go to college? Do they go on to volunteer? Do they become productive members of society? I think that Wapasali is showing that, that we can produce future leaders. How do you spread the word to the community and how do, how do kids go about getting in? Like, how do you identify kids that need this type of support and how do you get them into the program? You know, ultimately it comes from a lot of different pools. I think technology has become an incredible opportunity for us to really get the LA-based to see that there is something out there specifically for their family need. So technology, volunteer.org, um, it's been volunteer match. It's been incredible. But I think our grassroots, our nuts and bolts is working through the public school systems. We spend a ton of time working alongside counselors and teachers to find those partnerships so that when a family is identified, that counselor becomes our biggest advocate. And they're like, you need to call Wakwasali. There's a lot of resources here that they may be able to tap into. And ultimately, those counselors look at us or those teachers and say, even when I match them with you guys, I know that you may be with them for years to come, and that's really satisfying for them. Let's talk, uh, let's shift the conversation a little bit now uh, to your fundraising initiatives because obviously, well, first of all, maybe before we talk about some of the fundraising work that, that you do as a not-for-profit, let's maybe talk about some of the growth that your organization is, has been going through over the past years from its inception and how have you managed that growth because I would imagine it's an overwhelming need for this type of service and how do you, how do you keep up with it all and it takes a lot of money to do it. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the money conversation for all of us that are listening is, is always the big, you know, question mark is how do we, you know, raise the money we need? How do we scale? How do we grow? How do we diversify our funding? Um, and certainly, I, when I went from sort of grassroots for the first 10 years and volunteered for my own, own organization, I'm sure a lot of people that are listening are like, yeah, you know, for many years, I just donated my time to my own charity. But we saw that, that we were really growing at a very slow pace, and I decided to take over as CEO in, in 2014 and really bring more of my entrepreneurial skill and attention. And I think what we saw was that, hey, we were really exceptional at developing especially one incredible signature event in the Manhattan Beach area that people were really resonating with. And that started to show true value in terms of revenue and also just public attention. The event started to shine a light on the charity, the event called White Light, White Night. Um, so we really put a lot of energy into technology, into the event raising. We put a lot of energy into looking at how could we raise money. And then we took that money we raised and started diversifying into other opportunities. For example, peer-to-peer -peer, um, software, um, looking at um, our marketing and social media strategies. And so all of these pieces we started to invest in and then eventually started bringing in staff that actually could manage these processes. So I was lucky enough to bring in a full-time special events person who could really look at this as a year-long strategy. And I think that that scaling has helped us then get the money we need and then reinvest it in other opportunities. For example, grants, um, monthly giving programs. These are all separate types of events that don't require, they're not events, they're 
outside of the normal event structure. So we're just really looking at continuing to be powerful in our events, but looking to diversify our funding. And as more kids come into the circulation, it costs us $5,000 per child to be matched for the year. And what they get in that year is an incredible journey with Walk With Sally. And so how do we continue to add now over 115 families case managed? We have to raise money, but we got to be smart. And everybody has the same question. How do I not burn out my staff? Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, let's talk about that $5,000 a year. So what does, uh, I think we all understand that donors nowadays, they really want to know where their contributions, their donations are having impact. They want accountability. So I donate $5,000 to sponsor a family for a year. What is that money actually used for? Yeah, I think it's interesting because we all have an overhead conversation, and I think hopefully we're changing and educating people in a different way that overhead is certainly not a bad thing to have a team of people working tirelessly daily to promote the brand, to get more uh, people into the building, to find more mentors. All of these things cost money and ultimately mean that we're going to help more kids. So I'd rather, you know, spend the money on the things that we need for our staff and keeping our, our team happy so that we can increase the quality of our service and the amount of people that we serve. So $5,000, if you look at the, the journey of a child for one year, it starts with an intake and information from the school. And that school would have had to have been a partner that we had already acquired and made, you know, built trust with. From that intake then comes a match day where we've already trained a mentor, background checked, and gone through a full day training, and that's time, money, and energy. After the training and the match, we have a match day back at the home where we actually unite the two, the family mentor and mentee, and we talk about what the year is going to look like. Included in that year are some special services, one being our program, the activity events, which takes place every quarter and allows for kids to see other kids in a fun day. Last week we did surf day with over 100 families members. Those mentors and mentees come together, and they get to know each other over the course of, of, of that year and hopefully beyond. And then to kind of round it out, there's some support services for mentors who need to be supported throughout the year. So you have a case manager who's ultimately making sure that that child and that friendship lasts for one year because we know statistically the magic happens after one year and the in the impact we can make is so much more profound if we can get them to a year and then beyond so a lot of resources invested in making that friendship um, last and then a lot of the other things that we do along the way with support during christmas many of our families don't have a holiday we bring holiday to them in our um, hope for the holiday program where our supporters want to adopt those families and bring Christmas. So if you look at a 12-month cycle, it's pretty incredible how we touch and put our arms around the family for that $5,000. Nick, that's just incredible. Um, love hearing that story. And this, this is Ian from Winspire here. And um, really kind of want to uh, dial in on how do you communicate that journey in a simple way, right? Our audience out there, they have their cause, their mission. And uh, like Danny said, right, they're try- so, so much these days, donors really want to see accountability. They want to see where their money's going. And um, it can be really difficult to sum up your mission and really demonstrate exactly how their dollars are being spent. Do you have any kind of tips or, or ways that you go about communicating that, that fabulous in-depth journey in, in a simple way? 
I think that, you know, p- part of that process is really measuring, measuring your results. I think that for me, the result measurement was a big aha moment of what are we doing to really track every minute of every day? And it sounds overwhelming, but charities really need to know how to tell their story. And it starts with data. It starts with not just how many kids do you have, but what goes into building a partnership with a school and how do you simply educate people around that? So the first for me was getting inside the numbers and having systems in place to actually track it. So your staff is really looking at how many miles did we travel to go be with that family in Simi Valley to try and match them, which we hope is going to be for a lifetime. And so when you start to drill down and see, oh, my God, this is how many hours we're spending. This is how many miles we've driven. This is how many partnerships we've, we've created over the year. And then bundling that up into, and of course, you've mentioned it right at the top, Ian, that people need a very clear and succinct um, messaging. So really working to hone that message, which is for every $5,000 you donate, you get to create a friendship for a year. That's something that people can really resonate with. If people need to know more, that's fine, and that's something you can educate. You can educate your board on what that means. You can educate your advisory board on what that means. But ultimately, people just want to see significantly. If I give $250, that helps pay for a child who can spend a day with other children who are impacted by cancer. Mm-hmm. Wow, what does that look like for me? So 250 is going to get me a day to send a kid to be with other kids at the beach and have everything taken care of because cancer is depressing. We want to get them out of the house. So some of those short, really brief, very succinct, and have an idea of really what those things cost. Many of us in the nonprofit business, you know, when we first start out, didn't really take a look at those costs and say, what really did it take to have 100 kids at the beach with surf instructors and a meditation and food? Whether it's in-kind or volunteer, there's a cost to even getting everyone there together. Let's uh, let's go to the other end of, of the conversation now and look at how you attract funding. Then for your first of all, how much of it is is public funding? Is there is there public funding for this organization, or is it completely private? Well, I mean, public is for me. I mean, there's several grants out there that can be available to us. I mean, I think that those of us in in the nonprofit should know that there are there's money in the county, there's money in the city. Um, but for the most part, Walk with Sally really thrives on the corporate and individual donors. We do have a grant r- writing program, but Walk with Sally is super proud of the fact that we can build out an incredible event, two to three signature events a year, and raise 60% of the dollars that we need to survive for the year. Wow, that's excellent. Let's talk about those events. So let's, let's take a look at those two or three major events that you do over the course of the year. For sure. Absolutely. Um, specifically, I think the, the the beginning of the year starts out with something that we, we've always called the Friendship Bowl. And Ian, you were talking about messaging. It was another aha moment for us to have an event to tie it to how are we really sharing what the event is um, and what does it really mean. And, and we used to call it the Bolathon, which didn't really resonate with people. So three years ago, we really developed um, our peer-to-peer um, relationship with the Classy organization out of San Diego. Those of you guys that are in technology probably have heard about Classy. If you haven't, definitely check them out because they're really kind of a, 
um, uh, their, their mission and, and, and really aligns with kind of who we are, which is just, you know, wanting to help you create a peer-to-peer annual fundraiser to really make it easier for the teams to raise money from their networks, from their peer group. And so we engaged in Classy. We started looking at our messaging and we realized that Bullathon wasn't resonating. We'd had 10 years raising about $30,000. And it's a bowling alley, and we asked people to help us raise money. And for 10 years, it was come, you know, get your team, raise money, and then come bowl for the day. We didn't want a walkathon. We didn't want a golf tournament. We really wanted to, you know, figure out that whole process. And ultimately, the bowlathon was okay, but there was even a time, like I'm sure a lot of us do, is think, is this event really worth it? Um, we weren't spending a lot and it was a lot less time, but we really weren't getting an ROI. And it really wasn't until we discovered Classy and that software that started to become easier for the volunteers to go out and raise their own money. And we started to message, and we started to create drip campaigns where the person who's generating that funding could be encouraged along the way and really keeping them engaged in that fundraising process. And last year, so in three years, we've grown it by 300%. We raised 120000 um, and we had an incredible day of bowling. But really, it became about the campaign and people sharing who do they bowl for. We changed the name to Friendship Bowl. We used technology, and we had an incredible result. And we still spent the eight to $10,000 to rent the, the alley and, and do the food. So that's a really uh, an incredible success story with the Friendship Bowl. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a really incredible. What else are you doing? And so we just completed our annual White Light, White Night, which has um, you know an incredible following from San Diego to Northern California. We have people from Arizona. They come in. They've either lived here or they want to attend the event. It's an annual event. We had 1,300 people this year. And White Light really was a healing color that my mom and I meditated on, the color white, when she was sick. And as a little boy, I didn't really know what she was up to. But I really went along with it, and, and as an adult, I really saw that she was trying to include me in, in that process. So I named the event White Light. It's an all-white party, and it really is about coming together as a community and really acknowledging what happens to children when a parent's impacted and what's really out there for the child who doesn't have cancer but is, leaves a lifetime scar. And that event has over 30 restaurants, um, it has usually a main act. This year we had Belinda Carlisle. It is a foodie event, and then it's a massive fundraiser event, silent auction, live auction, and a um, stand-up for a child. Um, some people call it Fund the Need, um, and we call it Stand Up for a Child. And so the branding of bringing the light, the branding of standing up for a child for $5,000 really starts to resonate with the the crowd there that night and they really see like if i can generate this revenue this is how many friendships we get to create that night um and we netted we just finalized some of our final totals just almost exactly five hundred thousand from that event wow beautiful wow excellent sounds like you're just doing everything right uh how long has it taken you to figure out 
these formulas and and the the key components to creating a successful event because we know there's hundreds of thousands of events that go on in North America every year and I I'd really like to know what percentage of them are really doing a good mm. job as it sounds like you have you you figured out the formula you've got the mm. you know, how do you get the right bums in the seats to start with how do you get mm. that many people in um, how many items do you have in your live auction maybe mm. we can talk a bit about the size of your silent auction and how sure. you conduct the the fund to need or the paddle raise these are things that our listeners I'm sure will be very interested in Sure. Well, we can, we can break it down a little bit. I think that the first and foremost is I think you have to land on something that really resonates and feels organic and really see that the reaction in that first year was, was really good. I, I think that, uh, that people fell in love with the event, even if it's 50 people. White Light, White Night started in a hair salon in downtown Manhattan Beach because a local business owner's mom died of cancer. And through a friend of a friend, I was just like, hey, I need to raise some money. He's like, why don't you have a party at my place? And I said, well, it's all fluorescent and white. And we talked about it. I said, my mom used to heal in white. I said, let's call it white light. And it was supposed to just be a one-off. It was so popular. It was so popular. And I think my message to people that are listening is that stick with it when you find something that is working. But you really won't know and I hate to tell people this, you really won't be able to really see and, and feel and work out all the kinks in most cases, unless you have an incredible board that is able to make phone calls and raise you a million dollars on your first event. Most of us are grassroots, and we have to start somewhere. And so when you see something that's working, then really stick with it. Make it a commitment to do it every year and to really analyze afterward what worked, what didn't work, and then start to tweak it. I think the second thing is what the success for White Light really is dedicated to me putting someone that was dedicated to it and starting to move out of an all-volunteer experience. I don't think charities and um, events like this can grow very far if you don't have a dedicated staff person. We can get in-kind donations, and we can get volunteer hours, and boy, we've got you know over 11,000 volunteer hours this year logged, but you've got to have a dedicated person if you really want to grow an event like this. Um, so I think those are some of the key success factors. I think that how did I get 1,200 people to come? I think it's creating a very sophisticated database where you went from not really keeping a lot of information or not really knowing how to to keep that data to really getting people engaged throughout the year so that they're excited about the event, but that they also get to see after the event where the money's going. So you can inspire them before the next year's event by just training them and teaching them where the money is going. And they feel like, hey, I'm part of the light. I'm bringing the light. Every year I'm going to come to that event. And then if I don't come to the event, will I still participate financially? Um, the, the <laughs> I think the silent auction is just, you know, I've gone through so many learning experiences with the silent auction. I didn't have a fundraising background, so my fundraising background has come from doing it. And watching it be all volunteer hiring companies that would do it for you manually and would charge you exorbitant amount of fees. I think even Ian probably knows what I'm talking about. Yep. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, r- so really putting I. you through the, the, putting you through a lot of com- confusion. A lot of us in the nonprofit world, you know, maybe don't understand some of the ways that some of these organizations that are third party are making their money. 
So I highly recommend that anybody that's looking at hiring an outside company, whether it's technology or whether it's a group that manually would actually help you procure and set your silent auction, that you read all of the details about this relationship. Software can cost you money. It can cost you a long-term contract. These are things that you really need to know up front. And so important for me that I really understood what I was who I was contracting with and what I was contracting for because it can cost you a lot of money. Um, there are ways for them to raise what they initially maybe um, uh, quoted. You know, quoted you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and there's tricks. You know, there's different things that they do. So at the end of the day, I went through different iterations of all organic volunteers stumbling through late at night, people stressed and saying, I'll never do that again, uh-huh. to hiring a full outside firm that did everything manually. And what I started to realize is that I was developing a really incredible committee of community volunteers that didn't mind tapping, if we trained them, into their own resources. And I started realizing that, hey, wait a minute, we have the ability to procure our own items, work with companies like Winspire to enhance those items, and that an outside third party wasn't actually getting us that much in procurement. And when we started looking at what we were paying for for procurement, we realized 90% of the items that we were retaining were coming through us and that they were then, you know, helping us day of with the manpower. So ultimately I went through that iteration to then bet, gosh, I was one of the first in 2011 to do BidPal, all electronic. Wow. Yeah. I had a young, you know, it was the iPad or not the iPads, but the iPods. Yep. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. They iPod. had. Yeah. I think it was the. I don't know if it was the iPads or the iPod touches. The iPod touches. The iPod touches. Yeah. They handed you yeah. not your smartphone. But iPad they touches. You a little, yeah. The right. iTouch. Yeah. 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 iPod yeah. touches. Yeah. So you had five hundred touches that you handed out that day. It was. It was incredible. <laughs> uh, just to think, right? And right, so right. that was kind of an aha moment for us. Um, we went back to manual for two years because people were still not ready for technology and it became extremely frustrating for us to see that so many people had not gotten sort of into that technology. And we had a fairly younger skewed demographic. I can't imagine for some of you that are listening who are saying, gosh, we're still doing it the old fashioned way. My board or my community won't accept this. I think we're slowly getting out of that and Mm -hmm. realizing that technology can be the ultimate goal. I think that we eventually moved back to technology. We've never looked back our return on our investment software is minimal. We've built out an entire volunteer committee and team. We procured 600 items this year and wow. 400, wow. 400 packaged total. So wow. 400 items in the for 12 for uh, for 1300 people. How many 1500 people? 1300. Oh, 13. Yeah. 1300 people. 400 we spent packages. 7, 000, yeah, we spent 7000 on software and we netted in total, 126000 on the silent auction. Unbelievable. Nick, uh, when you say you returned to technology, let's uh, be specific about that. What platform did you come to when you returned we, to technology? We w- first went back to Bid, BidPal, and then we switched to Gesture maybe two years later, and then Gesture was just bought by GiveSmart. Um, and they've asked me or had asked me to come out and really talk about, you know, some of the, the ways that technology has improved their, uh, our fundraising systems. And I think ultimately once you commit to technology and you find the right company, because there's many out there, and I would ask other nonprofits. I would 
really go to events that other nonprofits are holding yes. and really go touch it, feel it, taste yes. it. Yeah, I know up in our market up in Canada, we see Givergy is the one that we see more than any anybody mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, that's great. Let's uh, let's move on then. We've talked about the silent auction. Let's go to your live auction. How many items do you have in the live auction? Do you use a professional fundraising auctioneer? And uh, then we'll talk about the uh, fund need. Yeah, we do. We uh, we used to not have a silent auction at this event. Um, about eight years ago, we, we were afraid to ask people for money. We didn't understand the fund the need. Um, I started going to other events and seeing this incredible opportunity. I was frightened to right. stand up in front of people. It's, and it's hard. It's hard to ask for money. It's hard to ask for money, especially when people are having fun and all of a sudden you've gone from like all you want to do is create a fun event to being a businessman and looking at the numbers and realizing that you're spending 40 to make 80 and you're feeling like you spent eight months and you say to yourself, I can't keep doing this. Like Mm -hmm. we have to generate night of more. So I just threw myself into other events, saw how other people were working it. And then I kind of customized what I thought was my own, which was the stand up for a child. And we produce a three minute movie, four minute movie. You can find them on YouTube. Walk with Sally one. Every year we tell a story of a friendship and of a mom and dad and the cancer story and then the hope that comes. There's not a dry eye in the room, and we go right to Stand Up for a Child. We hired an auctioneer, Grant Schneider, who's been with me for eight years. Grant has a sort of unique kind of funny uh, way of being, and I think he really resonates with people in our demographic who tend to skew more 40 and 50. And so it's just been the, really, the right fit. The movie, the stand-up for a child, people understanding what the dollars are going to, and they see that friendship, and they say, we want to create another friendship like we just saw on the screen. Um, 20 by 20 video, digital monitors, and people are just you know, quiet and really just blown away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this year, um, we grew it by 17%. Um, so in 2013 was the first time I implemented it and was extremely frightened. I made $36,000 in 2013. I started to use technology and Grant and me and the movie, and this year we did $183,000 for wow. the fund the need. Wow. Wow. That Incredible. is remarkable. We grew it by 17% from last year. Good. Amazing. Uh, let's talk about the live auction. How many live auction items do you have at an event like this? Yeah, I think that, you know, for a lot of us, we are hearing from a lot of our supporters that, hey, we're having a good time, we've raised money, um, but, you know, it's going too long, the program's too long. So we're constantly looking at what does the run of show look like? What is the time that we're spending messaging? What is the time we're spending raising money? Because eventually these folks want to go back to having a good time. So we've tried to keep it at 10, and we've made a goal of making that slot worth $10,000. And that should be kind of our litmus test for, you know, finding items or two of one item and keeping it to 10. We've gone a little bit beyond that because some last minute things end up showing up and we always go against our our standard. But if you can state that it's going to be an average of 10 and you have several items that are worth 15 or 20, you ultimately can end up with where we were, which was 118,000 this year. Um, And it's items that... um, could be supplemented by a Winspire type item right. where you've got free flights and you've got someone donating a certain amount of stay in one 
town and then Windspire coupling it out to round it out. So we found that um, those consignment items have been great when we do end up with, say, plane tickets that are worth ten grand, but we have nothing to attach it to. Great. So we've played some games with that, and I think that that's been really effective. Um, but ultimately, you got to move quick by that point. It's the last thing in our program, and those ten items, my secret right now is find two or three of each item and and really figure out how to make that go. Um, and you got to fill the room with whales. We all know that. And that's, mm-hmm. you spend a year making sure that the right people are in the room. Now, uh, just so I'm clear here, you were saying 10 items and your benchmark is about $10,000 value per item? Correct. Okay, for your live. And that's, yeah, that's kind of an average. Like, yeah. we don't we we don't want to we don't want to go under 10 for yeah. each of those items. So they're not accepted um and what we do with some of those items that we really don't think are going to generate that 10000 we create a platinum table, and that platinum becomes kind of like our most high-end coveted silent auction items. Okay, I like that platinum table. Haven't heard that. I've heard it called super silent auction, but the platinum table is excellent. I've also heard it called the almost live auction. The almost live auction? Yeah. 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 Uh, what types of items? You know what's been cool, too? Sorry, sorry. I was just saying what's been also cool, too, is you guys have probably is, – is, trying to establish even like a a frenzy this is the first year that we did something really weird we had one of the famous chefs iron chef who made the finals this year david lefevre who's a big chef here in town and and a good friend and david has a great restaurant called arthur j in town and arthur j is like this classic steakhouse he loves football he's like i want to do an incredible arthur j tailgate party for the rams for 20 people yes and we sold it you know, so we sold it for five hundred dollars a person, um, and and literally got our ten grand in. I don't know. It was like twenty seconds. It's kind of amazing. So Nick, I've Nick never this really is done any this friends. stuff is gold. Yeah. I, uh, this is just it gold. Great? It's gold you're sharing with us, boy. I can't tell you how much we appreciate. Oh, you I know. Just... I shouldn't be doing this. Well, no. I should be. I should be charging for my consulting. Fees, <laughs> or keep, or like a lot of, like a lot of event planners and organizers do, try and keep everything hush hush and secret because they don't, want, you know. Uh, but but uh, you've been so transparent. All, with all this. Is... Yeah, this is wonderful. Uh, uh, oh, oh my gosh, I've been through. I've been through so much that it's fun to share. I think you know. Hopefully, nobody's even on this podcast. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Actually, no, I'm had, kidding. Yeah, we've had, what, over 15,000 downloads now, so this, this podcast itself is getting some real traction. Interestingly, and this is a total sidebar, but one of our, our biggest and most popular uh, listening areas is Japan. Didn't you figure that out once yeah. yet? Yeah, we have. Yeah, I think they're just spinning up their kind of event fundraising industry over there, and we, we saw a big group of them show up at the AFP, you know, the Association of Fundraising Professionals Conference, and then after that, they... Our our listenership over there exploded. It was yeah. crazy, crazy. <laughs> anyway, we'll. Well, get- I, I think that, that there's not a lot of resources for guys like me who really started out in the film industry and has been an entrepreneur and wanted to do this as a passion project. And how do we take it to the next level? You know, a lot of people are out there wanting consulting fees, and that's really scary. And some of that's been money really well spent. And in other cases, it's not. So you have to be really careful. So just that you guys are providing this resource, it's it's fun for me to get on and say, here's the crap i've been going through for the last 14 years if you right. can learn anything from it you know yeah. it'll help you know you guys grow nick can you can you think right now just uh, on off the cuff what are some of the best live auction items that you've seen at your events i mean you've, you've obviously described the tailgate party is just an incredible idea but uh, we're always Isn't that looking cool? yeah. yeah that's so cool but we're always looking for what's working in the live auction what's what really seems to be hot right now yeah 
Well, I mean, I would tell you that in my demographic, I don't have the old school hospital 70-year-old billionaire. Uh, I do have a few billionaire kind of tech people, but ultimately I have to really know who, who my crowd is. And I think if you don't know who your audience is and what they resonate with, that's the first place I would look is really how many people are in the room and, and who are the people that are actually going to raise their hand because there's only about 10%. And what are these people like? And and in our case, they love. They, you know, we're going to know that travel is really it. And travel not always with a plane uh, attached to it. I think sometimes we think that we've got to fly eight people. We've just seen huge success from destination locations in some exclusive parts of Mexico with a house that's been an architectural digest that's owned by a friend of a friend, and it's four thousand dollars a night to stay there, and it's five, six nights for eight people. Those eight people, if advertised ahead of time, and that's the key for most charities, is they're not letting people know what's out there way, way ahead of time. And that's where technology and, and a marketing campaign, I can tell four or five days, I can call my friends and I can say, that's a trip for us. That's a family trip. That's a, a, that's a friend vacation. I'm 40 and I want to I wanna do that. Um, uh, Africa is super hot right now, so anything that you can create that's going to get people to Africa just seems to be an it place. I don't know why Mexico is just always doing well with homes. Um, I think also creativity. When I told you about the Arthur J and the Frenzy, that's a homegrown, built-out thing that anybody in the town that goes to that restaurant that knows that famous chef, that knows he's going to do a mixologist and the best steaks on the planet and that my friends are setting up through South Bay Automation all of the video monitors and the entire experience all donated. Um, those are experiential and they you can't get them online and so those are the things you want to look for, things that really don't exist. For whatever reason, the blimp, you know, I, tell me whatever, <laughs> I got three blimps and sold it for $15,000 for three of them. Boom, 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 five, five, five. Hmm. That's great. Do you know, I uh, once I was doing an event one time, and one of these uh, construction cranes, yeah. um, the local construction company, uh, the commercial contractor was a big sponsor of the event. They donated a chance to go in one of these high-rise cranes, and it sold for three times for fifteen thousand dollars. If you can to go up and sit in a crane all day, I couldn't believe that. <laughs> so yeah, but to Nick's to Nick's point, you you need to be creative, and you need to really think outside the box, and and just take a look yeah. around. You don't, and you don't have to look very far to come up with cool ideas. Now, Nick, I, I think you hit on a really important point that I don't want to. Um, I kind of want to go back to about promoting your auction items because that's such, like you said, it's such a key part of making sure that people are aware. You're priming the pump. You're getting people ready to bid before they walk in the door. Uh, what are some? Can you talk a little bit more about how you go about promoting it? Maybe some specifics on social media and email, and and anything else you do to get the word out. Yeah, I think that the key, first of all, is just, you know, how are you collecting your data and who's buying tickets and how many guests do you have and do you have those all compiled the week before so that your database is so tight with, um, with you know, the bid power gesture which we've used, you know, that has allowed us to really kind of understand who's in the audience and, and then getting their guests registered as soon as possible. You're, you're nothing if you don't have those guests the completely registered a week before, which is almost impossible unless you put volunteer hours towards getting everybody registered. Once you have everybody registered, the communication becomes incredible because you can send them a link, let them see what's going on. You can give them teasers. You can tell them that the auction is now on and we could start the silent auction. We started the silent auction two days before and we listed the live auctions 
items there so you could click a button and see it. But people were bidding. We showed up at 42000 the day of the event already in the silent auction. So understanding what the technology can do and really researching that, hey, can this help me you know, really tell my story a week before for the people that are coming. For the people that aren't coming, sending that link out to social media, trying to get people who may not come to want to bid and give you a, an actual amount and using our volunteer team to bid on behalf. That's been a huge opportunity in some cases for people who really want an item that can't attend. Really make it easy for them. Encourage them. Have them already commit to a certain amount for a certain trip and you know, obviously honor that that's what Sotheby's does. You know, we can do it too. Um, I think the other thing is creating campaigns through our own internal email and you know, beautifying those items in a really customized way and sending them out in an e-blast in small pieces, so three or four trips during the course of a week or two to start teasing people. And, and which, last which, is Night Up. Sorry, I was quickly going to interrupt to find out which platform are you using to manage your email list? Um, well, we are huge fans of Salesforce, and it's attached to a massive marketing software called Pardot. Okay, very good. And when I say massive, it's not that it's not expensive. It's just that it does so much. It it tracks people's buying uh, time online. Uh, it, it tells us what they're looking at. It tells us what they've clicked through on. It grades them on their performance, whether they've been a volunteer or whether they've spent money. Um, it just gives us a ton of information to understand who, who we're talking to. And then Pardot can create through that system. You can create your, your system to um, – get that e-blast out, sort of your old school con constant contact with a whole different back end of analytics, I guess is the best way to put it. Okay, very good. Sorry to interrupt you there. You were moving on to another point. No, no, and the last, and the last piece, the last piece is, is day of. We, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to get people to be looking at these items way ahead of time and understanding what is going to be on the, um, on the live auction. So old school printing, having stuff at the table, you know, some of those traditional things can also be that last-minute opportunity where somebody can finally put their attention to it, and they maybe didn't get the emails, they didn't care to look, and now they're sitting down, and they're about to start the show, and they see those 10 items. Very good. Well, Nick Arquette, I'll tell you, we would like to come over there to El Segundo or Segundo or wherever you are. I say El Segundo because I'm Canadian. You I, can't believe Ian, I can't believe Ian hasn't been to the event yet, but he lives in Orange County. So I know. Be a way to get him. I'll be up there. Yeah, but anyway, we, All right, just, man. we want to come up there and kidnap you and just tie yeah. you up and bring you back here and has you, have you as a guest on every show. You are just such a deep well of uh, experience and knowledge and so transparent. To it. We really appreciate you sharing what obviously are your trade secrets, but to be so open with all of our listeners on events with benefits, we really appreciate it, Nick. And uh, we wish you continued success. And the um, your organization is called Walk with Sally. We hope that all of our Listeners will be sure to check uh, your website out. And uh, yeah. for more information, where can people get a hold of you? Yeah, walkwithsally.org, easy. Um, we have the whitelightwhitenight.org. For those of you that have been listening that say, I want to know more about white light, easy to find. Um, just Googling those two, walkwithsally or whitelightwhitenight.org. 
um, Friendship Bowl as well, the microsites that we have on YouTube. Definitely walk with Sally one and look at some of the videos and, and see the stories. And all the fundraising is great, but we reminded, you know, we're always reminded of why we do it, and we call it FTK for the kids. Um, it's been great to just share with you guys. I almost feel bad. Maybe I share too much, and maybe I should probably. But um, it's it, my pleasure to just share what I've been learning, and that's the way we all grow. I think sometimes nonprofits keep it within. There's no reason. There's plenty to go around. We should we should be helping each other. Well, thank you, Nick. I, I just want to really um, kind of focus on how much today you spent on the messaging, right, and the branding of the event and bringing it home with the, the data and just backing it up. Every single one of your events, every single uh, piece, right, you bring it back to the kids. It's for the kids, FTK. And I just want to commend you on, on how you've done such a good job on that. And I, I really appreciate mm. you sharing that message, uh, you know, with mm. our audience. Well, hopefully doing this type of thing and having you guys know who we are, there's opportunities that will open up for us, and it is for the kids. And I'm glad you get it. We spent a lot of time, you know, and early on realizing that, you know, a lot of times we get caught up in our event. And so for those of you listening, don't forget that even during your event and all of the crazy stuff, people still want to know why they're there. And you've got to focus on your messaging. Very good. All right, Nick Arquette, thanks for joining us on Events with Benefits. You got it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show this week. For show notes, special offers, or to listen to previous episodes, you can visit us at eventswithbenefits.com. Please also consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and write us a review while you're there. If you have any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at hosts at eventswithbenefits.com. We'll see you next time. <laughs>